Hey everybody, Candace Eisner here. This week I wanted to talk to you about some of the mistakes I made as a new massage therapist. Welcome to Life Beyond the Massage Table, a podcast for massage therapists, or really anyone who works in health and wellness. I'm here to help you take a look at your business and practice in new ways, to think outside the box, and to shift gears from the same old stuff that isn't helping you build the life and the business that you really want. Let's get started. Happy Monday, everyone, or whatever day of the week it is as you're listening to this. This week, I thought it would be kind of fun to jump off of last week's topic where I talked about my own uh, personal experiences in my career and my story, how I niched and how that went for me, um, and kind of backtrack a little bit and talk a bit about some of the mistakes I made as a new massage therapist. Now, some of them were mistakes I made when I was brand new, and some of them were mistakes I made in the earlier part of my career. And now that I'm going to make this episode all about um, sort of do as I say, not as I do kind of thing, you know, you, you have to kind of make your own way with your career. But, you know, maybe some of the things I say can help prevent some awkward situations for you or some body pain as the first topic is going to, you know, kind of talk a little bit about. So, so yeah, I also thought this would be a fun topic since, you know, this is right around the time that the new grads are going to be either looking for jobs or writing their OSCEs or, you know, the board exam here in Ontario. Um, obviously, that, you know, that timing does apply to Ontario. But, you know, anyone international, if you are new to your career, here's some, you know, tips I have for you on uh you know, making your career a little bit easier, that transition into it. And lastly, of course, before I jump in, um, if you're not a massage therapist, if you're working in some other health career, you'll probably still find some of this content relatable, because honestly, it's mistakes that a lot of us make um, when we're building a healthcare practice or a fitness practice or a wellness practice. So let's just, uh, let's jump right in here. So the first mistake I made, and this was, you know, a really big one, um, and one that my professors in school had warned me about, one that other professionals had warned me about, and that was trying to do too much too soon. So my story was that I jumped into a mostly full practice. Um, When I started, I was taking over someone else's practice because she had just recently... um, I'm trying to remember, was she recently married or was she go engaged. I can't remember. Anyway, the guy she was with, he was in the military and they were moving out of town. Um, So they later on did get married. I can't remember if they were already married when I when I started at this clinic. It doesn't really matter. Um, But yeah, I took over her practice. And at that time as well, I was also covering in part for one of the other therapists in the office who had been in an accident and she wasn't able to work at that time. So not only did I, you know, jump into a semi-full practice, because when you take over someone's practice, you never sort of inherit a full practice because not everyone's going to keep coming to see you because they really like the previous therapist. So I had a semi-full practice, but I also had this, uh, this other person's clients that I was seeing some of them simply to cover for her while she was away. And, you know, I went from zero to 60, as they say, really, really fast. And I did do some of the things they tell you to do. Like I, I, you know, I didn't start with a full five day, full, 
load right away. You know, I think I started with three days and then bumped up to four after a month. Um, but even with that planning, I ended up with a heck of a lot of sore hands and thumbs and forearms and legs and back and yeah. So that's kind of my caution for you guys is try your hardest not to go from zero to 60 right off the bat. If you are inheriting someone else's practice or if you are in a situation where, you know, it's really easy for you to fill your books, I mean, great for you if that is the case, but for most for most therapists, that is not the case. I realize that. But if you are in that situation, um, try to take extra long breaks in between clients or only book a few clients per day at first just to allow your body to build up the stamina because, you know, student clinic experience and whatnot is not the same as professional experience. You probably weren't seeing, you know, five, six clients a day every day, you know, or, you know, four or five days, depending on how, how many days a week you work. Um, you probably weren't seeing that in student clinic. You probably weren't doing that in practicing for your board exams. So there's an easy one for you to avoid is simply try not to do too much too soon. The next thing I want to talk about is kind of being wishy-washy about rebooking clients. And this is actually something you see in, with experienced therapists too. This isn't just newbie therapists, but new therapists tend to be more shy about it, you know. And before I talk about that, I do want to say I'm not talking about being pushy. You know, I'm not talking about being forceful and saying, you know, you must rebook with me or any of that kind of thing. Because you do see some people do that and that's extremely unprofessional. I'm not saying you should be forceful or suggest weekly treatments to people just so you can get your books filled and you can get money in your pocket. Absolutely not. That's not cool. That's not appropriate. I hope you guys knew that that's what I meant. But something that people tend to forget as new therapists, whether you're a massage therapist or any other, you know, in any other career where you're sort of booking people into your appointment book, is it's actually part of your job to ask people to rebook. Like, that really is part of your job. So you should remind yourself of that when you're feeling a bit wishy-washy about it. You know, certainly you definitely should be asking people to rebook if they're on a specific treatment plan and be clear about that. Say, you know, we, I'm, you know we, I should see you weekly right now. It's for these reasons. List the reasons. Okay, you know, can we, when can I book you? Um, but even if they aren't on a specific treatment plan, suggesting they rebook within a certain time frame that's reasonable to you know, why they're getting uh, treatment from you in the first place, that's just good business. That's good logic. You know, and it also helps clients get confident with your knowledge and skills. If you're suggesting a certain course of treatment and are confidently saying, hey, you should rebook for next week so we can keep working on this, then chances are good they're going to feel confident with you and feel like you know your stuff and feel confident in rebooking for the following week. Maybe not everybody will, maybe financial reasons, maybe timing reasons, maybe they're just not interested, whatever it is, and that is fine, you know. People have the power to say no. As long as you're not being extremely pushy, which again, like I said, I'm not telling you you should be. I'm just saying you should be asking people to rebook and, you know, and make it clear like, hey, you know, I've got my book right here. Do you want to rebook with me right now? Or my, or my online booking if you're if you're a, a techie person, which I do actually have a podcast episode coming up about tech and massage therapy or tech and healthcare. So listen up for that one. But uh, yeah, you know, just don't be wishy-washy about rebooking clients. It's okay. People can say no. 
and feel confident in yourself. You know, a lot of people actually will want to rebook, but if you don't invite them to rebook, they may not. And actually that's happened to me on at a at a client level. I've um I left treatments, like left the treatment room that is, expecting fully to be asked to rebook and expect, you know, wanting to rebook and then like they didn't ask me. So I didn't rebook. Kind of weird how that works, you know, you would think that the person would just ask. But not always, especially right after a treatment where you're kind of, you know, in that sort of zone where you're not really thinking too much about, you know, organizing and da da da, you know, and if somebody asked you to rebook, you would do it, but you might not on your own. So the next thing I want to talk about is, this is something I see, again, a lot of therapists doing, but it seems to be more prevalent with new grads. And I think it's because they feel a bit nervous about their level of knowledge, some of them. And that's listening too much to the massage therapy myths or what other therapists are telling you that you should be doing or saying or how practice works or whatever way you want to think of this. Now, first off, I did an entire podcast episode about massage therapy specifically. So you can go back to episode 31, have a listen to that. I believe it was back in March that I did that episode, uh, March of this year, that is 2017. Um, but in the context of being a new grad and the mistakes I made, well, you know, even though I had a really good science-based education, so I have a bachelor's degree, and then I went on to massage therapy school a few years after I graduated with that bachelor's degree. So I do have a science background. Um, but even so, you know, I tended to just listen to what the more experienced therapists were telling their clients and saying to their clients and saying to me that I should be saying to clients, even though it may not have been based on truth or fact or any kind of logic, I was just doing it because that's what they did and that's what seemed to be done. That was normal for the profession. And meanwhile, a lot of the things I was telling clients were just half truths or not really helpful at all. Here's one example, and I know some of you, this will make you raise your eyebrows a little bit, but a lot of therapists tell their clients to drink a lot of water. And I started doing it too in my practice. But here's the thing. There is no scientific reason why you should be telling your clients to drink lots of water after a massage treatment. It's not going to flush toxins from their body. Most people are not going to be dehydrated after a massage unless they've got a medical condition. You might be dehydrated from working hard on them, but, you know, on the treatment. But they're not going to be dehydrated, probably. Um, and there's just really no medical reason to suggest that they drink lots of water. Now, certainly, you know, if they're thirsty, offer them a glass of water. That's fine. But it just or like if you know the person is struggling with, say, weight loss or their health and you are part of a, the bigger picture with that and you're suggesting drinking water because it's healthy for them, you know, that that's fine to do. But I just, I have a lot of massage therapists recommend to me, or I've seen it, they do it to other people, and they just say, you know, hey, don't forget to drink lots of water. Why? Like, there's really no reason to be recommending that. So I started doing it too, because it's what everybody else did. And, you know, why did I do it? It's because I was lacking confidence, you know, in myself, even though I had graduated near, at like the top of my class, I wasn't the top student, but I was in the top, like, 10 or something, probably less than that, probably top five. But, you know, and I and I had great professors, I had like one of the top programs in the province, but I just did what everyone else did, because that's what felt comfortable to me. You know, and I do want to say that there can be a fine line when it comes to new grad confidence, a lot of grads are not super confident with themselves, because they're new. 
but some tend to get a little cocky and we'll cover that other side you know in in a moment here but you know overall is as a new grad it is okay to question what the other people in your clinic are doing and not necessarily do the exact same thing they are do they do sorry they are doing simply because that's what they're doing you know, uh, actually, it's okay at any time to question what other people in your office are doing, as long as you're not being a jerk about it. You can you can ask genuine questions. Say like, "Why are you recommending water?" You know, they may tell you they don't know. <laughs> That's you know, I'm I'm doing it because the therapist that I worked under for 15 years, and you know, now I'm you know 25 years in my own practice, did it, and so now I do it too. You know, so but just because somebody else has done it for a long time doesn't mean you should be doing it too. So you have to think about that kind of stuff. So another thing as a new therapist you might want to think about is you may find yourself worrying too much about what other therapists are doing or what treatments are popular instead of what you're actually good at or what direction you'd like your career to take. And this is kind of a jump off of that topic I just talked about a second ago with, you know, recommending things to clients that don't necessarily make sense. So unfortunately for me and my own massage therapy practice, it led to me taking CEU courses, you know, I didn't really want to take in my heart. Like at the time I was like, oh sure, let's take these. But to be honest, uh, you know, I kind of did it just because they were popular and I thought it would make me money. For example, hot stone. I took a hot stone course and it was super, super popular in my area. A lot of clients were asking for it. It was kind of a nouveau thing at the time. It's not saying it was a new treatment. Hot stone treatment has been around for many years. Um, but at the time, it was kind of a popular treatment. Just like for a while after the Olympics last summer, um, cupping was all the rage because of um, uh, the American men's uh, Olympic swimmer whose name is not coming to my head right now. But you guys know who I'm talking about. So yeah, um, you just kind of have to think about those things, you know, because what ends up happening is you end up taking these CEU courses and end up advertising the the thing that you've been trained to do, even though maybe it's not your passion. And then it leads you to you to seeing clients that maybe aren't the greatest fit for you, but you do it anyway, because it's bringing you money. And then yeah, you end up kind of chasing the almighty dollar instead of actually thinking about, well, okay, like, what is important to me? What kind of treatments do I want to be giving long term in my in my practice? Like what what really do I want to build here in terms of my career? And speaking of that, actually, another mistake I see new therapists do, and again, I did it myself, is trying to be everything to everyone. Yeah, I tried to be good at everything, you know, because I had the training in school. We had one of the more comprehensive trainings in Ontario and possibly within Canada, at least, you know, for, um, I won't get into all the background details, but at the time, BC's program in terms of legislation was longer than ours, but our program was much longer than the required, I think it was 2,200 hours. And now that those things don't exist, the sort of numerical number of hours based programs, it's now based on competencies. Anyway, um, you know, I, I went to a very good school that taught a lot of extra stuff that wasn't absolute requirements of the curriculum in order to become a massage therapist, to write the board exams at the provincial level and become regulated health professions. Um, so because I had that education, well, I should be good at treating everything and do everything perfectly, right? Well... <laughs> Yeah, no, okay. Certainly you can treat most things right out of school. That's, you know, that's true. But 
it's very not true that you're going to be good at everything, you know, because that is life. Everyone has their strengths and weaknesses. I hope that is obvious to all of you. So you got to be real about that. It is totally fine to refer out a client when they need treatment that you're just not great at because it's better for both of you. Honestly, they will appreciate the fact that you say, hey, you know, I know you're looking for TMJ treatment. I respect that. However, it's just not something that I feel, you know, I've been, I've gotten basic training to do it, but honestly, I would go see, you know, name of someone who's taken extra training in it post-graduation. That's what I did actually after a time, after I kind of got over the idea that I should be good at everything because I had such, you know, wide variety of training in school. After I got over that, I did start referring out to therapists who would take an extra training post-graduation, you know. Um, the other thing too is that, you know, just because you took it in school doesn't mean you're going to retain that information forever if you're not using it. So yeah, if somebody comes to you, say a year or two or three after graduation, asking for, I'll use TMJ again as the, as the example, you know, looking for TMJ treatment, well, be a realistic, just because you did it in student clinic, even if you were awesome at it in student clinic, well, you haven't done it in three years. So you think that's a good idea to treat that client? No, I, I don't think so. I, I think you should be honest with them and say, well, hey, you know, I haven't done this in years. I think you should see someone else. Um, side note here, if you're in the situation where they've already come to the clinic to see you and you're in the treatment room and they're asking for that, just be honest. So, you know, I don't do interoral treatment because I haven't done it in three years and I don't feel it's appropriate to just practice on my clients. You know, you, can, you know, you don't have to say exactly that, but you can make a little joke about it. But you could say, I do feel comfortable treating outside the mouth. You know, we can treat your your jaw muscles. We can treat your neck, da 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 da, da. Talk about that and then refer them to somebody who's actually got extensive experience in TMJ treatment, if at all possible. Um... If you're living in Toronto, Ottawa, any major city, you know, even if it's a smaller city, like say Kingston or Belleville, chances are really good somebody in your town does good TMJ treatments. The other thing you can do if, again, this is just based on TMJ, but really like there's sort of reality there with other, with any of the other um, sort of specialty treatments you might find yourself faced with. Refer out to another professional, you know, like for instance, TMJ, you can refer them to see a dentist um, unless they've already been seeing one for it. Um, if it's, say, pelvic pain and, you know, you could refer them to a physiotherapist. That's just another example. So that kind of thing. So don't be afraid to refer out and, you know, because that's you respecting your boundaries as a therapist. That's you saying, like, I don't really have the level of training now to do that kind of treatment just because I learned it in school doesn't mean at something I'm good at now. I would rather you as the client get really good treatment from somebody who knows how to do it versus just coming see me because I'm going, well, I was trained to do it in school and all massage therapists should be able to do it. So therefore, I'm going to do it. Like That's not good for anybody. So just be honest about that stuff. That's all I'm saying. And actually on that note, Another thing that I was when I very first graduated, I mean, well, I kind of had the two sides to it and I'm coming back to something I said earlier and that was being a little too cocky about how good I was. Oh boy, because, you know, coming into school, one of our, this was one of the reasons why, there's multiple reasons why I was a little too cocky in some ways. And one of the reasons why was that one of our profs, as we were graduating said, 
and this is not verbatim, but it was very close. Right now is the time you'll know the most in your career. So don't you forget that. Be confident. Be great. And what he meant was that because you have to do the board exams and because you've been studying your butt off for, in our case, three years, because our program was three years, you become a very, very good generalist and you have memorized all kinds of stuff that therapists out there working are not simply going to know, you know. But the thing is, it's stuff that therapists in the real world don't bother memorizing because no one cares. <laughs> like your clients do not care if you can name every muscle origin and insertion and describe in detail the cellular respiration cycle or whatever else you might have retained from your anatomy and pathology and physiology classes. Be real about that with yourself and with your clients. Your clients actually care about you being able to help them with their pains and their problems that they're facing. And that is literally all they care about. You know, the exact details of the science behind it don't matter to like 90 to 95% of people. So, you know, no one in the clinic, very rarely, like I think I maybe had like one or two clients the entire time I was massaging who like, I almost felt like they were quizzing me and I should just hand them one of massage therapy textbooks. One or two out of the many years I was in practice for over eight years, like active practice. So yeah, that's, it's just, it's not gonna happen. So don't worry about that stuff. You know, and don't get too cocky about, you know, your level of knowledge in comparison to the new therapist, or sorry, your, you as a new therapist in comparison to the therapists who are already out there and working. Um, because a lot of us graduating think that we're so awesome because we just did this big education and we're the most educated therapists out there because, you know, realistically, every graduating class is a little bit better than the one that came before it because improvements are always being made, you would hope at least, to the um, academic uh, academics that are taught in the various schools. But it might be true, but again, there's that word. It's the academic level that it is true. But no one gives a shit about that stuff, except, like I said, I might have had two clients the entire time I was in practice. So don't get too full of yourself about this stuff because real world experience really matters a great deal to clients. And real world experience is definitely going to make you a better therapist. It's going to make you better at treating just about every possible thing that you could possibly be treating because that's going to trump any treatment scenario you might have done in clinic, like with the help of your supervisor stepping into the room every so often or, you know, in the lab where it was completely faked because, you know, the person you were treating didn't have a broken arm or wasn't pregnant or whatever it was all it was all just scenarios that you were doing based on like a case study that you were handed by your by your professor right so if you've got a chip on your shoulder a little bit thinking you know I'm so great I've got more education than the therapists that are already out there blah 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 knock the chip off your shoulder like get over yourself because it's not really like that and yeah, just have some respect for the therapists that are already out there. I realize that most of you are probably not like that, but I felt a little bit of that cockiness and I know for sure some of my fellow classmates had a bit of it too because they were saying, like when we would get together for coffee or beer or whatever, some of them were saying stuff and yeah, so just let's just nip that problem right in the bud. Have some respect for the therapists who have been out there quite a few years, even if they didn't have, you know, as stringent in education as you did because that real world experience really does mean something um 
Speaking of real world experience, another thing that I used to do is get really frustrated with clients. And I was being too strict with clients. Let's think of it that way. So what do I mean by I was being too strict with clients? Like, was I like yelling at them or something? Well, no, no, I wasn't doing that. That'd be silly. But here's the thing. Like it or not, as a massage therapist, you work in customer service. I know a lot of you, you're immediately going to go when you hear that because like you do not like the idea that you're in customer service because you are a healthcare provider. And I am not arguing that point whatsoever. You guys are definitely healthcare providers. And end of discussion, you know, we're not going to argue that point. But there's still a customer service aspect to what you do. So you have to think about each client and what makes sense for their life and their situation and what they do. So when you're assigning things like healthcare, or sorry, self-care, exercises, referring to other professionals, you know, all that kind of stuff, you have to do what makes sense for the individual client and their condition and their lifestyle and all of those things. You have to think of the whole picture and not just, well, they would get better a whole lot faster if they just did their exercises. Well, that might be true, but if they're never going to do them, no matter what you say, no matter how often you explain, you know, it's helpful in this way and you should think about this and you know your condition would get better maybe twice as fast if you did your exercises you're only here to see me once every two weeks for an hour la 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 whatever it is you're saying if they're not gonna do them they are not gonna do them your job as a therapist is to help them You have to be realistic about that. I know I was annoyed when I was a new therapist and my clients, like a lot of them weren't doing their self-care. And, you know, any experienced therapist is going to tell you there's plenty of clients that don't do their self-care. And so, again, self-care I'm using as a broad term to talk about um, things you might recommend. Anything from Epsom salt baths to stretching exercises to going to a yoga class, doing cardio, um, muscle strengthening, Um, very specific exercises to deal with a certain condition, whatever it might be that you are recommending. You know, a lot of people aren't going to do them no matter what you say. And your job is to help them not to prove that you know so much about muscle strengthening and stretching and all this other stuff that sometimes therapists feel like they have to prove because they feel like they need to show that they've got this big level of education that they got in school And it's super important for them to assign things to every single client, even if the client never does it. Well, yeah, your job is to help them. It isn't about you. So do your best. I'm not saying, you know, just throw in the towel either. That that would be silly too. And that's not really doing your job either. But let it go if clients simply aren't going to do the stuff, you know, explain it to them. And then if they don't do it, let it go and don't bother trying to assign them something new unless you're getting the vibe that maybe now they're going to be into it. If you know someone's not going to bother doing their exercises or doing their self-care, don't waste your time in theirs. Basically, that's what I'm saying. So don't bother being kind of strict with people about these things. And another mistake I see, not just new therapists, but newer therapists, most therapists, a lot of therapists doing, is avoiding marketing or they fall back on bad techniques like doing free massages. Um, I know a lot of you have probably done the free massage thing. Maybe for some of you, you found it really useful. But 
Free massages are an example where people try to take advantage of massage therapists or take advantage of professionals, period. I sometimes get asked to do free work too, um, doing what I do. And that is doing my current career, not my previous career, my, not my lovely, wonderful career as in healthcare. Um, so yeah, you don't usually hear of free events looking to hire dentists to give free checkups or chiropractors to give free treatments, right? Not, not very often, at least. Maybe occasionally you might hear of something. Um, usually when you do, it's a specific charity event, you know? And if you care about that charity and it's something that you're passionate about, you don't mind volunteering your time. Then, then go for it. I'm, I'm not going to tell you not to, obviously. You know, it's your life and your practice and your business. You do what makes sense for you, right? It's okay to volunteer your time as long as you are clear about that's what it is. It is not business building. Maybe you will meet somebody who'll come into your clinic, sure. But ultimately, it's not business building. It's volunteer time. And if you're cool with that, then great. But here's the thing about giving away massage for free. We're not, it's because it's not volunteering if it's being done um, as a promotional thing, okay? So people like massage. You guys know that. I don't need to explain it. That's why so many events are going to contact you, you know, and they're going to say, oh, come give free massages. You can hand out business cards. It's going to be great publicity for you. You're going to, you know, grow your clinic or whatever they might be saying to you. But trust me, 99% of the time it leads to absolutely nothing other than, you know, you might have fun the day of. And that's great. Um, but I did a few, few free events as a new therapist and I never gained one steady client ever from the free events. People don't want to pay for what they can get for free. And if they know that therapists are doing all these free events, then they're just not going to bother, right? Because you can get it for free. People don't want to pay for that. So if someone tells you to work an event for free because you're going to get free exposure for your practice in your clinic, well, tell them people die of exposure and be at the end of it. <laughs> you know, but seriously, there's so many other methods of marketing that work really well. You don't need to resort to giving away stuff for free, you know, at least not massages. Um, work on a website, use social media, go to networking events, not ones where you're giving away free massage, but where you're meeting people and you're mutually exchanging information. Hi, I'm a massage therapist. Oh, hi, nice to meet you. I'm a physio. Great. There you go. A professional link that might work and help you build your practice. Um, you know, give talks on topics that you're passionate about to crowds that would make sense for you. So if say, for example, you're really, you love running, you're a super passionate runner. Go to a running room or a sporting goods store and see if you can set up giving a talk to a group. You know, there's just one quickie example off the top of my head. So if you're comfortable with doing a little public speaking and you're passionate about running and that would make sense, then some of those people might, you know, jump into your practice. Never work for free. That's basically what I'm saying here. You are worth so much more than that. Unless again, just the caveat, if you are working as a volunteer for a charitable event that you really believe in or that you simply want to do. You you feel like doing this. It's a favor for a friend or you just like the event or whatever. That is fine. You can make that decision. I'm not saying, you know, hardline never give your your work away for free. But just if you're doing it thinking it's going to build your practice, it's not. There are so many other things you could spend your time on. And the last and really important topic, really, really, I shouldn't have maybe left it for last. I maybe should have said it first. That is the mistake I see 
all therapists making, especially new grads, though, is it's being timid about accounting and money matters. I know a lot of us don't love those things. You know, a lot of people in healthcare are healthcare providers because they don't love, you know, sitting behind a computer all day. They don't love numbers. They don't love that kind of stuff. But it is crucial for your life that you get these things set up properly. Get advice on bookkeeping and accounting from a professional or have them do it for you if you can afford it. If you can't afford it, that's okay. But make sure that you do get some serious good advice on how to do it properly and start doing it properly. Don't guess. Don't put it off for several years until you're like, oh God, I guess I better file my taxes or whatever. Just do it right from the get-go. Get it set up right from day one or very early days, like in the first like month or two of practice. Sit down with somebody and get that stuff set up. So many therapists end up getting huge surprises when it comes to filing things like HST or their taxes. You know, they get shocked. Oh my God, I had no idea I was going to OCPP. I forgot about that as a self-employed person. I have to pay the whole amount or whatever it might be. You know, you don't want that sticker shock. Certainly I had that shock the first few years. And here's the secret for you. Both my parents worked in finance. My mom was an accountant. Um, not a not a, a registered, like a chartered accountant, just to be clear. My mom worked as like the, the next step down at college level, like college trained. A accounting clerk is what they were often called or bookkeeper. So my mom did that for her career and she even helped me file my taxes for a few years until I kind of got used to doing it on my own. Um, but I still got the sh- sticker shock because it's common. You know, you just, you don't think about that stuff until you're faced with it. So what I'm suggesting basically is think about it ahead of time. Start squirreling away some money so that you don't get shocked with how much you have to pay in income tax and CPP and other fees and filing your HST and when you have to start filing your HST. Um, For those of you in foreign countries, um, HST is a harmonized sales tax. It's something that currently massage therapists in Canada have to pay. That may change in the future because there's not that many health professions that do have to pay into it. It's a bit controversial. Um, But anyway, um, all's to say, you know, you don't want those surprises when it comes to money matters. Get that stuff set up. I also recommend you think about things like um, life insurance and think about things like accident insurance. You know, if you get into an accident, you know, yeah, you know, it's not an instantaneous payment, but at least there will be some money there to help you um, continue to like pay your bills while you're waiting for your injuries to heal and getting treatments and help you pay for the treatments because not everything is paid for. You know, yes, we live in Canada, you know, those of you listening from Canada and I'm Canadian, but not everything is paid for. It's not like, it's not like it's free healthcare of all kinds. So yeah, just think about that life stuff. Think about that adulting money stuff. It's really important to think of right from the early days of building your practice. So yeah, that's all of the stuff I have to talk about, the mistakes I made when I was a new therapist and, you know, recommend that you guys start thinking about, you know, for yourselves and maybe try to avoid it a little bit or, you know, at least you know, mitigate some of the problems I had, (laughs) you know, but best wishes to you new grads out there, by the way. I, again, like I know this is the time of year where you guys are looking for jobs or you're just writing your board exams, that kind of stuff. So, you know, I hope you all have a long and really successful career. If you do have any questions about starting a new practice or about, you know, what it's like or marketing questions, anything like that, you are welcome to contact me at any time. 
Um, on Instagram, I am Happy Little Biz. On Twitter, I am Nixie. And you can also find me by email at all times. That's actually the quickest way to get in touch with me. Candice, C-A-N-D-I-C-E at Nixie, N-Y-X-I-E dot C-A. Hey guys, I am so happy to be back with you for the summer. Um, I will be doing a weekly podcast for most of the summer at least. I'm playing around a little bit with the format of the podcast. I haven't decided yet if I'm going to revert to doing seasons or just keep doing sort of a weekly podcast with a break here and there. But, uh, you know, regardless, I am really appreciative of you guys supporting me, listening to this week after week after week. If you have any questions at all for me about running a successful massage therapy or related healthcare practice, if you have ideas for the podcast or whatever, I am always open to you. Candice, C-A-N-D-I-C-E at Nixie, N-Y-X-I-E dot C-A is my email address or you can find me on social media. Also, as always, I do appreciate you giving me a rating over on iTunes. That helps other people find this podcast or, you know, promoting it on social media for me. I also appreciate that as well. So, yeah, hopefully you guys are happy having a great summer so far and I'll be back with you next week.